Hey everyone, welcome back to Farming for Passive Income. We have today Thomas Costelli on this show. Thomas is a real estate CPA, actually owns the real estate CPA.com. Thomas, did I get that right? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a partner at the firm. So yeah, I'm a part owner, I would say. Awesome. Well, Thomas, welcome to the show, man. I really appreciate you being here. There's been some hot questions that are coming across my desk. And so I'm very interested in getting into some of the industry knowledge that you and your partners are so familiar with. Yeah, I'm happy to do it, man. Love love this stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Um, well, before we get into this, maybe you could just give us a little bit about your, about your background, you know, how you started the firm. Um, any of those details would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, kind of a little bit, a little bit about my background, you know, I went to college, you know, followed the traditional path, went to college for accounting, um, kind of during that time while I was in college, I stumbled upon the rich dad, poor dad books as many real estate investors do, and uh, kind of uh, fell in love with real estate went down that rabbit hole. And then I ended up like the summer that I graduated college there, I went to a, a local RIA event, a real estate investors association event and met a group of people who were doing a three-day weekend on real estate syndication. So I went to that three-day weekend and, you know, I learned all about real estate syndication. I was like, I love this business model. Uh, so what ended up happening was, you know, right as I started my first job in accounting, I started uh, investing as a limited partner in a bunch of multifamily deals with somebody who eventually became a mentor to me. And um, basically I was able to get into a deal as a general partner, I was the 82 unit apartment complex in Florida. And right around that time is when I joined the real estate CPA. So uh, Brandon Hall, a gentleman named Brandon Hall had found had founded the firm. And I was like one of the first five people who, who were here. And uh, so we've been helping real estate investors reduce taxes ever since. And it's kind of like a nice background of like, you know, my passion for like real estate investing as well as my, my background in accounting. Uh, so that's mm -hmm. kind of like in a nutshell how I got to where I am and, you know, kind of a little bit about my background. That's great, man. Yeah, it, it definitely pairs nicely, the two of those concepts. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So the show is focused on limited partners, um, passive investors, and we try and focus a lot of the content towards that side. So I was wondering, from your perspective, how does your firm create the strategies that a lot of the passive investors out there are looking to do, You know, especially as we think about exiting um, a five-year exit, three-year exits, you know, what are some of the strategies that you guys help investors with? Yes. I mean, I think the biggest, the biggest uh, tax strategy uh, available to limited partners is the ability to use passive losses to offset income and gains from the sale of passive activities, such as rental real estate. And I think, you know, from my experience, I've, I've consulted with dozens of limited partners and uh, on how to reduce taxes. And really what it comes down to is, is simply making sure that you have enough passive losses to cover any rental income that you have coming in, as well as making sure that you have passive losses available in the year that a property is going to liquidate and you're going to have a capital gain. And so it really just becomes a timing game of monitoring your passive losses, uh, which are found on Form 8582 of your tax return, and just you know keeping in mind of when you know what the flows of income you're going to have from your various K1s that you get from the limited partnerships as well as just keeping you know in mind when the sponsor plans to sell um because again the the, the biggest strategy and, and and in many ways in my opinion the only strategy really available to limited partners is the ability to use these passive losses to offset um the rental income and gains 
Okay. So using section, what were the sections again? Yeah. So, uh, so maybe too so, detailed, but yeah. So let me, let me break this down. So when you, when you invest in a, when you invest in a real estate syndication as a limited partner, you're going to receive a K one. Now, mm -hmm. uh, most syndicates, most real estate syndicates are going to either be using like a value add strategy, or they're going to be using a cost and, or using a cost segregation study during the first year that that property is acquired uh, to generate a loss from uh, the property. This loss is generated by an expense called depreciation. And yep. depreciation, kind of just break that down a little bit for everybody. It's a non-cash expense. So in other words, on paper, so for tax purposes, it reduces your taxable income, but not necessarily your cash flow. And here's an example I always give just for easy math. They're just for an example, right? Um, let's say you had $10,000 in rental income. Um, and you know this could be in a syndicate or you know whatever. Um, then you're gonna you're gonna have hard expenses associated with that income. Things like property management fees, uh, utilities, so on and so forth. These are expenses that actually leave your pocket, and you have to go pay a third party. So let's just say you had six thousand dollars in these hard expenses, right? Well, now it's le you're left with four thousand dollars of cash flow. Now in most businesses, then that's also gonna be your taxable income. Uh, because there's no depreciation in a lot of business, or at least it's not significant. But thanks to this depreciation expense, it's not uncommon for you to have a, a sizable depreciation expense. But you know, just for just for example, let's just say you have a five thousand dollar depreciation expense. Well, this would put you at a thousand dollar tax loss, despite the fact that you generated four thousand dollars in cash flow. Because again, that depreciation expense is a non-cash expense. Mm -hmm. So now. As, as an investor, that, that loss is going to flow through to you via K1. And when you have that loss, a few things occur. The first thing is you didn't pay any tax on your rental income. That's a good thing. Um, the next thing is that loss can be used in that same year, right, to offset other rental income from other activities that you might have, other properties perhaps, or help offset the gain on sale from another property. So if, so it kind of give like, this is where it all comes into monitor, monitoring your passive losses. So kind of give an example. Let's say in 2022, you knew, you're investing in a syndicate. You know the sponsor says we're selling the property before the year ends. And you know you're going to have capital gain. The property's been doing well. You've been following along uh, the quarterly reports and all that. Um, you're going to want to take out your 1040, your form 1040. That's your individual tax return if you're filing taxes in the U.S. And uh, on form 8582, that's your passive activity losses. And you're going to have your suspended pa uh, suspended passive losses on there. And suspended passive losses, just to break that down, are losses that you cannot use from prior years. So okay. if, if, if I'm going too far down a rabbit hole, just let me know. No, but, this is great. These details are awesome. So what ends up happening is, so if you, if you have a passive loss and the passive loss offsets all your rental income, all the gains on sale uh, in that year, you still have a passive loss then what happens is it gets suspended and carried forward because this passive loss cannot offset your active income. So income from a job or income from uh, an active business, maybe you're running. So it will get suspended and carry forward and it will appear on that form 8582. So again, you know, taking it back to the example, a property is being sold at a gain in 2022. You're going to want to pull up your 1040, look at that form 8582 and say, do I have enough suspended passive losses or do I think I have enough suspended passive losses? excuse me, passive losses to offset the gain on sale that I'm anticipating this year. If the answer to that question is yes, and you think you do, well, you don't have to do anything. You're gonna, when that property is sold this year in 2022, 
those losses will offset the gain on sale, mitigating that gain, and you're not going to pay taxes on it. Now, in some cases, you're not going to have enough suspended passive losses. Maybe you don't have any. Maybe you just don't have enough. So what you can do is you can invest in another syndicate or, or, or you go out and buy your own rental property if you want. But you, know, you can go and uh, invest in another syndicate that is going to have a cost segregation study associated with it. And uh, that syndicate should be generating a loss. That loss will be passed through to you on your Form K-1, which is reported on your 1040. And that loss from that syndicate you made this year in 2022 can help offset the gain on sale of this other syndicate that was also sold this year. Yeah, that is a huge timing game, isn't it, Thomas? Yeah, I mean, that's really what it comes down. It comes, comes down to timing, really. How do you help your clients manage that timing? Do you work with other syndicates to maybe propose when they should sell certain assets? Or what does that look like? Yeah, so, so really, when we're working with clients, we typically when we do comprehensive tax planning with them, we have them submit a list of all their syndications that they're invested in, uh, when they made their investments, when they made uh, uh, the amount of the investments they made, and what their anticipated sales, like what the anticipated cycle for that is. Like, so typically a sponsor will tell you three to seven years um, or you know, three to five years or whatever the, whatever the term is from the syndicate. And from there, we help them kind of anticipate, okay, well, it's likely we're going to be selling this year. Uh, selling like you know a few years down the line, whatever the case is, and really we just we monitor their their suspended passive losses and say, okay, well, we're expecting a sale in the next year or two, right? So it might be it might be wise to go ahead and, and it doesn't look like so. For example, it doesn't look like you're going to have enough suspended passive losses to offset that uh, right now. So what you might want to do is go ahead and invest in another syndicate if if the investment makes sense. Don't do it just for the taxes. But if you want, if you want to continue uh, this investment strategy, might make sense to go ahead and make an investment this year, so you can quote unquote bank these losses for uh, when the time comes. Because remember, these losses, if you don't have enough uh, income, passive income from it, from the rental properties or gains, then they'll just get suspended and carried forward to the next year. So uh, that's kind of how we help them. It's just like making mm -hmm. sure that uh, we're aware of when they might sell. We also tell our uh, our clients, you know. Be mindful that just because the sponsor tells you three to seven years or two to five years or whatever the case is, doesn't mean that's actually going to be the time frame. It could be shorter. Mm -hmm. uh, I know, you know, yep. the last 10 years or so, um, a lot of these transactions turn around way shorter than most. Like, I don't think I had any investments that I made uh, that actually went to the full term. Like, I, 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 most of the time they say three to five, you know, you're done in two and a half years. And it's just like, okay. Well, that's something to be mindful of and why you need to pay attention to the quarterly reports and 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 kind of keep keep in line with what the sponsor's doing because they're the ones in control of these investments. And the reality is they can make a decision to sell and you want to be prepared for that. So the bottom line is, I guess to summarize that, you know, we we monitor uh what investments they're making, when these investments are anticipated to be sold, as well as their suspended passive losses to make sure that, you know, within a reasonable range they have enough losses that if the property does get sold that they'll be able to cover their loss and cover the gain with without having to pay taxes on it gotcha okay thank you thomas that 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 definitely helps clarify the situation something that i'm i'm going through my head right now if it's a five-year hold say you invested a hundred thousand dollars five years ago and you have a 2x multiple mm -hmm. how much theoretically would you need of course, there's a ton of variables, but how much would you need 
to invest in a new deal to have that cost segregation study done in year five to perhaps offset that that 2x multiple that you gained in year five of the first investment. Is there any kind of rules so, of thumb around that? There, there is, there, there are like, to your point, there's a lot of va variables. So just for everybody that's saying, I'm going to simplify this. Um, but basically let's just say you're going to make 200,000, right? So you, you put a hundred thousand in and now you get two X multiple, you get 200 back, right? Well, it's just in a perfect, and let's just say that's a hundred thousand dollar gain, right? Probably not going to be exact. There's a lot of variables, but um, usually when you invest in a syndicate, uh, as of 2022, so in this year right now, um, property, certain property, certain types of property is eligible for a hundred percent bonus depreciation. What a hundred percent bonus depreciation does is allow a property with a class life of 20 years or less, which is typically anywhere between 20 to 30% of a property's purchase price or, or, uh, to be more specific, it's cost basis. And, um, that what that basically means and what that, what that has been resulting for investors is from from what i've seen on k1s and everything like that anywhere between 70 to 30 anywhere from 70 to 90% of your initial investment would come back to you as a loss so if you were to invest $100,000 in a new deal uh, you might expect anywhere between 70 and $90,000 to come back to you in a loss now it depends on the property on the sponsor's plan and all of that but somewhere between that 70 and 30 range. So if you had a hundred thousand dollar gain, um, you would need to probably invest, you know, at least a hundred thousand dollars to cover most of it. If not, maybe $150,000 to cover that gain to make sure that, you know, you're covering your bases. Now, mm -hmm. one, one more thing I just do want to add to that is that this strategy uh, of doing that, of this kind of hot potato or kicking the can down the road, however you want to look at it. Yeah. Um, is going to start to fade. Um, its potency is going to start to fade over the next few years. How because so? Since, yep. So since 2017, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that was passed, um, investors were able to get that 100% bonus depreciation I just mentioned. And that mm -hmm. went from 27, the tail end of 2017 until the end of 2022. So it's, it's done this year. Next year, it goes down to 80%. So still powerful, but you're not going to be seeing the same the same amount of losses. I haven't ran the math yet to see how how much it's going to ding it down, but it's it's going to start redu reducing it. And then in 2024, it's going to be 60%, 2025, 40%, 2026, 20%, and under the current law, 2027, it's gone. So that's why right now what we're seeing uh, is a lot of investors who are in that LP position they're seriously considering like, okay, what are my investment plans? Should I be making more investments in 2022 rather than waiting um, till 2023 or 2024, et cetera? Because right now, if they make the investment today, that the, the losses are going to be uh, you know, theoretically larger because they're going to be eligible for that 100% bonus depreciation. Whereas next year, it's only going to be 80%. So they're like banking losses in a sense um, for the future. Gotcha. So this phased out situation of bonus depreciation, once it is fully phased out, what does that look like? Is it just taking the assets value over 20 years and then just writing that off as the depreciation expense? Or what are the mechanics behind um, the new law if, once, the, once this phases out? 
Right. So if, if we're talking about residential real estate, so say multifamily, for example, multifamily properties are typically depreciated over 27 and a half years. So, you know, to simplify things, one one 27th over every year, you know, 127.5, you divide the property and you're, you have to take out the land because the land's not depreciated, but the, the building will be, be depreciated over that 27 and a half years. Now, the components within that building when you buy a building, it's not just, you know, the structure, right? You know, there's all the, there's the fl certain types of flooring. You might have uh, um, LVP flooring. So vinyl plank flooring in there that's removable. That's typically considered five-year property and that's eligible for bonus depreciation. Without bonus depreciation, that, that five-year property is depreciated over five years. Um, so it's, it's still shorter than that 27 and a half. And then you have things like land improvements, things like pools and decks and sheds and things of that nature. That's considered... Uh, 15 year property so it'd be depreciated over 15 years so in 2027 when these items are no longer eligible for bonus depreciation if you were to use a cost segregation study what's going to end up happening is on your depreciation schedule you're going to have on the on the on the property's depreciation schedule which will flow through to you um mm -hmm. you're going to have 27 and a half year property that's going to be depreciated that's going to just be constant um, and then you're going to have 15 year property that's going to be depreciated over 15 years. And then five year properties can be depreciated over five years. Now there's some other accelerated uh, accounting methods that can be used. I'm not going to break down all the technical details that kind of can still accelerate that depreciation a little bit on that five and 15 year property, but it's not, it's not going to be nearly as powerful. So like kind of the bottom line is you're still going to have a sizable depreciation expense, you know, in 2027 on these larger properties, but they're not, it's just, it's not going to be compared. It's going to be like, people are going to be like, you know, what is this? It's uh, it's just not going to be comparable to what it is today. Gotcha. So your job is going to be more boring then. Yeah. Well, at that point <laughs> it's going to be, well, I mean, it's still going to be in, it's still going to be impactful in the sense it's still going to help people reduce taxes, especially if their investment strategies is being a limited, you know, is, is limited partnership investments, but it's just, it's, it's going to be more challenging to, to, to fully offset it. It's more or less going to be like, you know, how much can we offset? Like, okay, how much can I save? Not like, how do I completely eliminate it? Or how do I take that? How do I eliminate, you know, 90% of my capital gain that I'm going to pay? Um, it's more or less, okay, how can I maybe limit, eliminate, you know, 20 or 30% or something along those lines, um, using these strategies. Mm -hmm. I wonder if, I don't know, just spitballing here, but perhaps more of a dollar cost averaging cycle would alleviate that more than rather than, you know, that five-year strategy that we just mentioned dumping a bunch in to get that huge loss to offset that, that huge gain. I have no idea but working maybe it might work through the math but um i don't know what are your thoughts on that like dollar cost averaging into like uh syndications yeah um that that could help if you were a if if it so i always try to tell people you know let me take a step back here and say that you got to look at your investment strategy and make sure that things align for your investment strategy not just the tax benefits mm -hmm. but if, assuming just again you know assuming that your your strategy is to continue investing in syndications then it might not hurt to invest in in some periodically over the next five years while bonus depreciation is still available so that you can have some of these losses available, you know, after this five-year period is over to offset the gain on sale of the properties that are going to be sold once this phases out. But I don't know, is that kind of what yep. you kind of what you meant there? Yep. Yeah. I mean it doesn't yeah, it doesn't hurt to 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 invest over these next few years. 
and take advantage of this of of it when you can of the bonus mm -hmm. appreciation. Mm -hmm. Based on what you guys are hearing in the in your firm and how much money is being you know deployed right now to offset or take advantage of this one hundred percent bonus depreciation, do you guys think it'll phase out? Uh, next year and that's really driving up asset prices right now or what's the general mentality you guys feel in the firm yeah i mean so my personal perspective on it i can't speak for everybody but um my personal perspective on it is that bonus depreciation did did you know accelerate or did add fuel to the fire or the demand of of these types of investments only because I, I'm, I'm seeing i'm seeing a lot of people a lot of uh get into the game of this like because of the tax benefits in other words they're not really always into it because of the investment itself but because of the tax benefits and that that was the incentive that was the point of the tax cuts and jobs act was to provide tax incentives to to stimulate the economy to stimulate business um but you know i, I was talking to one of uh one of our clients not too long ago and I, and I was saying i'm like look you know the man has definitely been driven partially uh, up by 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 the bonus by the depreciation because you know on the flip side of this equation right um the general partners people who are active in real estate there's something called the real estate professional status and what the real estate professional status allows you to do is take the losses from your rental properties against your ordinary income things like w2 income or active business income can't really do that as a limited partner but if you're on the active side you can do that and there's a ton of people who are getting into the active side, you know, they're quitting their jobs, they're changing careers, they're, they're having their spouse uh, get into real estate and their spouse maybe didn't work before, maybe was in a different industry, um, simply to get the tax benefits. Like they're, they're doing all of this just to get the tax benefits. And I, I don't have numbers or any reports to, to, to point to, but I can almost say without a doubt that this is driving demand in some way, shape or form. And I wouldn't be surprised if demand for real estate, uh, at some in, in some degree, even if it's somewhat minor, gets pulled back as these tax benefits begin to phase out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting topic because you don't hear you do hear about the depreciation rules, but most of the headlines that we're hearing are interest rates. Um, spammy clickbaity headlines from the media outlets trying to drive negative emotions but you don't really hear about the other side of the coin about what's really what's really happening perhaps with inflated asset prices and how it could you know maybe not alleviate it's the right word but in the future it will definitely be changing to say the least it seems like yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there is a lot of negative stuff about the interest rates, but I've, what I've found is with the more serious investors, the meaning the people who are like, you know, not just dabbling in it, they're like really investors, like, um, and they're in it for the long haul. They're not so much concerned with interest rates. They're concerned with does the deal work with the interest rates that are available. So in other words, they don't care if the interest rates four percent. They don't care if the interest rates seven percent. It's do the numbers on the specific deal work. And mm -hmm. if the answer to that question is yes, then to them it's a good investment. Uh, the interest rates really, um, from my perspective, from what I've been seeing, is it's been it's been more of a concern for people who are in the market for residential house. I mean, not for residential house, but for like pri for primary residence more than it is for the business properties. But on the tax side, what I'll, what I'll say is this, you know, and there and 
the mainstream media hasn't caught on to this or hasn't said anything about it if they're aware of it. Um, but like, if you factor in these strong tax benefits these properties are providing, some people will factor that into their RO, meaning like, okay, if a, if a property is able to, you know, save you $10,000 in taxes, well, you might be willing to pay a little bit more for that property or say it could save you uh, $50,000 in taxes, which isn't far-fetched. Um, you might be paying willing to pay a little bit more that uh, for that property than you would if it didn't save you fifty thousand dollars. So once that incentive is not there anymore, people aren't going to be maybe willing to go above and beyond a little bit more, and they're going to be a little bit more tight knit with you know with their criteria. So yeah, I, I do see it pulling back a little bit for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too. I, I keep hearing things that you know people are paying for multifamily assets across the country they're paying for basically next year's roi right right or NOI, excuse me so it's it's probably one of the reasons yeah and you know i i've seen sponsors have have asked me this question and people have said you know do you see a lot of demand being driven by investor appetite right so yeah. So these limited partners, right? There's a lot of money that you limited partners, a lot of money chasing after these deals and they want to, and some limited partners are incentivized to lock in this hundred percent bonus depreciation this year. And that's, they're kind of putting pressure on uh, their sponsors to, to find deals and get into deals uh, because this is running out at the end of the year. So there could be sponsors out there and I don't know any other, but I'm just saying there could be sponsors out there that are doing deals that may not be the best deals just because they have limited partners waving money in their faces saying, Hey, look, I need you to go. I, I, I need this loss. I need to lock in this bonus depreciation, you know, and that could lead sponsors to, to getting into deals that just don't make sense because their limited mm-hmm. partners are pressuring them to. Yeah. I agree with that sentiment, Thomas. Um, as we think about it, it's going to be interesting to see that what happens in the next two to three years with everything going on right now with this the capital situation um yeah definitely get into good deals make sure it's underwritten conservatively do your homework i i feel like it just the the basics right now yeah keep, yeah keep it the basics yeah if you stick to the basics you, you're you're sticking to the fundamentals of investing you know you're going to be in good shape you know at the, at our firm we have a comp, we we have a saying saying that's a, that goes don't let the tax tail wave the dog you know um and and what my mentor told nice. this is what my mentor told me in the real on the real estate side he goes if the deal does not make sense without the tax without the tax incentives then it's a bad deal yeah the tax incentives are an icing on the cake it's like a bonus um to to what you're doing it should you shouldn't be saying okay you know this deal doesn't pencil out or doesn't make sense it doesn't cash flow or whatever the case is but if i add this tax benefit to it all of a sudden it does this let's do it it, it that's just an indication that's a bad investment so yeah maybe something that helps you out there i agree are are the clients um that you hear talking about sponsors advocating for that depreciation expense to pitch a good deal because everything that i'm saying we we don't really add that depreciation. If it happens, it happens, like you said, icing on the cake. But um, are you seeing it being more common to perhaps juice up those returns and get that money out? Do I see it being pitched as a tax incentive? Yeah. uh, As an incentive to invest? Absolutely. Um, You know, there's, you know, I know how many, how many people, whether clients or potential clients or just investors that we come in contact with throughout 
you know our our our, our dealings every day um who are who are basically who are basically come to us with a misunderstanding of what the tax benefits could be because what ends up happening is these sponsors who who aren't tax accountants and to be fair uh, they may they may have good intentions but they just misunderstand how things work like we have probably someone come to us every time we turn around saying uh, you know, I, I was considering investing in real estate in a real estate in a multifamily deal as a limited partner. And the sponsor told me I can use the losses to offset or, you know, reduce taxes on my, um, on my income from my job. That's just not true. But sponsors will continuously tell their clients, I, I tell their investors this, and it's just, it hasn't been that way since the eighties that it's that stopped yeah. in 1986. Okay. Um, and that's something we see. Or have sponsors saying, "Oh, you know, you're going to get ninety percent of your of of your investment back in a loss." Like, and I don't know how you know they're 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 guaranteeing or promising that, but that may not always well, come to fruition. Be. Yeah, and first and, and foremost, I, yeah, and I and I tell and I tell my clients, I'm like, look, if a sponsor has to sell you on the tax benefits of it, and they have to give you the hard sell and 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 go through all that then then again it's probably not a good deal i mean they should be saying hey look this deal is going to you know we're going to turn this around you're going to get a 2.x whatever multiple on your deal the irr is going to be 22% and that should be all they have to say you know and you yes. should you know and they might say and, and and you know they might even they might to be fair stone oh by the way and you get this but if they're leading with that or they're making it a big selling point i think that's a red flag in my opinion yeah it's a, a potential red flag yeah, I completely agree, Thomas. The it's like a upside down sales pitch, but you should really start with the the story and the fundamentals. Icing on the cake later. Eat your meat and potatoes. Right, right, right. And then you get the dessert afterwards and it's it's good, but yeah, <laughs> it is good indeed. So Thomas, we've gone over quite a bit. What what have we talked about that you would like our listeners to know from a passive investing standpoint? And then maybe tell us a little bit more about your firm and where people can reach out to you. Yeah, absolutely. So I, so from a passive investment standpoint, again, um, just make sure that if from a tax standpoint, summarize, you want to make sure you have enough passive losses available to you to offset the rental income and gains on sale. And that comes, comes down to a timing game. Um, if you know a property is being sold within the next year or two years, then you want to look at, uh, you want to look at, your available capital, you want to look at your investment strategy, and you want to see if there's any investments available to you that meet your criteria um, that you can make uh, to, to generate some of those losses to offset the capital gains um, or, or rental income. That's that's the, that's in a nutshell. Um, so that's, that's what you want to know. If you want to learn more about us, you know we have a we have a free Facebook group, Tax Smart Investors, uh, Tax Smart Real Estate Investors. You can find that on Facebook by searching for Tax Smart Real Estate Investors, and we answer questions all the time in there and. I actually think I have a you know a few posts in there about uh, this strategy that I just mentioned. Uh, we also have a podcast, uh, the Tax Smart Real Estate Investors podcast, um, that that you can you, know, you can go ahead and check out. We talk about tax strategies all the time. And then I guess last but not least, if you're interested in potentially working with us, you know you can go to the realestatecpa.com um, and just uh, there's you know you could get click the get started button and you could uh, request an initial consultation. And that's you know, that's pretty much how you get in touch with us in a nutshell. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Thomas. Got a lot out of it. And we'll definitely put all of that good stuff in the show notes. And yeah, thanks again. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. To all listeners, talk soon. Cheers, everyone. See ya.